0: You're listening to the Degrees of Freedom podcast. Conversations about higher education in the 21st century between students and teachers. Produced at the University of Groningen. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Degrees of Freedom. My name is Tasos Rampolis and I'm a teacher in the psychology department in Groningen.
1: My name is Sally Ainsworth and I'm a student assistant here at our faculty.
0: And today we're talking about engagement engagement in education, engagement in higher education in particular.
1: And with us here today to talk about this topic is Yolene Mao, who specializes in educational technology, design and teacher professionalization.
0: Welcome, Yolene. Thank you. Uh, In preparing for this podcast today, I, um, I asked myself a lot why we're even having this discussion, why we're talking about the topic of engagement in higher education, And I wondered whether you find this something that uh, occupies your own mind as an educator, as a teacher.
2: Well, to be honest, not consciously. I mean, engagement is something that should be part of teaching, or at least I think it's part of my teaching. It's something that I do. It's like a second nature. And of course, I try to engage my students, either with materials or having them um, interact with each other or with me or whatever I do. I don't know. It's, It's something that is already there at least for me but on the other hand I guess that not all teachers have this as a second nature Um, but engagement is something that I find very important if you talk about academic um, functions or or jobs later on then being engaged being able to interact with the materials that come on your way I think that's really important that you can relate aspects or um, make inferences or interact with each other Yeah, so I do find it really important, but it's not something that I purposefully plan or anything.
0: Sally, as a student, is this a matter that you spend a lot of time thinking about?
1: Again, not consciously, but I I have noticed that it varies a lot from course to course. I think as a student, it really depends on how you learn. For example, some courses are very well suited to people who learn by doing or people who learn by observing and how how much you're engaged with that course will depend on the material but also the course design
2: yeah but on the other hand is it really that if you're more like a observant uh, student that you're not engaged i mean it could spark your thinking or that you related to your own practices or do you think of a nice documentary that you saw
1: i think it depends on your definition of engagement because if you're interested in the material and you're making note of it is that not a form of engaging with it
2: yeah sure it is i think <laughs> I, yeah, I mean i don't want to go into definitions but it's about effective or uh, mental or even behavioral activation or uh, engagement with materials or whatever your uh, thinking processes are but still i'm for me engagement will be that i can interact with my students that i see that students respond or that they have like a Eureka moment. Sometimes you really see the light bulbs going uh, above their heads, um, But it's not always visible for me as a teacher. So I would love to hear more about how students think about engagement if we as teachers should really provoke these um, I- moments of interaction or stimulate you to engage in certain processes.
1: Well, I think engagement in general is not always visible. It- mm-hmm. It's just in your own head sometimes, and you're really enjoying a lecture, and then you remember it better later on. So it's not necessarily an action or um, interaction.
2: So how? So
1: you think that
2: it's about you have to enjoy something to be engaged? I mean, something could really frustrate you as well, and then you're, <laughs> I
1: well, suppose, yeah. Uh,
0: g- engagement can have an emotional mm-hmm. uh, aspect to it, and it doesn't Absolutely. always have to be yeah. a positive emotional aspect, but. I'm, I'm struck that just in the last couple of minutes of talking about engagement, the word interaction I ticked has mentioned be, uh, at least four times. <laughs> and yeah, I find it interesting that often we, we uh, discuss engagement in higher education in terms of interaction. I think, uh, Sally, you said it yourself, that uh, engagement doesn't always manifest as a visible act or in, uh, action or interaction. So I'm curious actually both of your opinion on this idea or this level of discourse perhaps on engagement as interaction. Is that reasonable? Is that how you see it at least?
2: From my point of view, yeah. Because, well, at least for me, interaction is not something that is purely based on communicative functioning with verbal interactions or speaking out your ideas. But it's also how you interact with the material. So if you would read... Um, that you would underscore a paragraph or make notes. So it's also interacting with your learning process. Why would you
0: underscore a paragraph? Let's go with uh, a basic question. If
2: this is your way of learning for an exam, I mean, I don't say that this is the way, but it could be the way that you are interacting with the materials. You're trying to focus on the main ideas or emphasizing things that you did not know before or that you think that might be a good question that will be asked on your exam. I mean... It's one example of interacting with a material that's not per se um, with a verbal compound. I mean, I prefer to talk a lot during my lectures and engage students. So I guess that for some teachers, interaction and engagement is somewhat intertwined, but it doesn't limit itself to having a verbal interaction.
1: Yeah, I agree with the broader definition of interaction as in terms of with material as well. It's not always about um, interacting with other people, per se.
2: Or maybe listening to other people having a discussion. It could also spark yourself in your
1: thinking. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: In all of this, I'm still struck by the question of why we're even having a discussion about student engagement or engagement, because it's not just about student engagement in higher education. So
2: I think the main question is, what do we want from our educational system? Is it that people just sit there, observe, and do nothing with it? Or do we want to raise some critical thinkers? Or do we want to focus on the professional skills that would will be needing later on? I, I think that's an underlying question. And that, well, if I have to talk for me, um, it's something like I take for granted that I want my students to be able to verbalize themselves, that I want them to choose what they want to learn, that I want them to offer just more options, um, or more topics or more ways of processing uh, learning materials than, I don't know, the standard forms of read a book, make an exam. Isn't so this,
0: Isn't it reasonable to expect that young people, 20 year old people who make the choice to go into higher education and choose a topic of interest are already by definition highly engaged and it's instead our job not to, or to, to, to give them space for this engagement?
2: Okay, then uh, I would love to see this in practice. Maybe we could set up a nice experiment, uh, have the course, uh, have a class split in two, and see what happens.
0: Yeah, this is the educational (laughs) design uh, expertise Uh, coming into play, I suppose.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Um, I don't know. Um, Even if you choose for a certain um, topic, or for example, if you want to be a teacher, yeah, sure, you're still working towards your professional skills, and, and all courses should contribute, but I'm not sure if each and every course, the added value is always that clear. Or that maybe in 10 years' time, you're looking back and think, "Well, oh, now I understand why this course was part of my education. But I'm not sure that students always see the added value of each topic or how it would add up to their um, skills. Maybe, Sally, you can add on to that?
1: I appreciate when there's a combination of different teaching uh techniques, I suppose, in one course where multiple skills are cultivated rather than trying to make one technique cover everything. So, for example, lectures, when you're trying to make it involve discussion and interaction and skills that would probably be either easier or more suited to a smaller um, group discussion or a practical. I think it's uh, really nice when In one course, there's multiple types of teaching Mm -hmm. so that you can practice these skills in the best possible environment for that skill.
2: Yeah, sure. But do you think that all your fellow students are ready to engage? I mean, okay, here's my course. You're sitting over there and some active processing will happen anyway. Like Tassel said, should we really cultivate it?
1: No. (laughs) I don't think that. I think um, it's becoming more and more common for people to go to university because they're expected to. And they don't necessarily take a subject that is their passion. Mm -hmm. They just take what they're good at or they have interest in, but they're not sure about. There's multiple reasons to follow a course and not everyone is going to be engaged from day one. But Jaso seems to think otherwise.
0: No, I I don't think I'm suggesting this. I think I'm suggesting that we need to take into account the intentionality of students when it comes to this. As Sally says, there are a variety of reasons why people are in a particular program, and I don't think it's reasonable for an educator to judge what those reasons are. And instead, also in the, in the cadre of, of deciding what we mean by engagement, I think it's it's an element of engagement, and teacher engagement for that matter, to figure out what the intentionality of the of the mm-hmm. student is. We talk a lot about teacher-centric education, mm-hmm. student-centric education, but mm-hmm. rarely do we talk about learning objectives and intention from the perspective of the student. I think this is this is not such a controversial statement.
2: No, I agree. Um, but still I think that as a teacher, I can show my students that there are multiple ways to interpret their text or to engage with theories or to help them find their own, for example, in my teacher training program, to find their own teacher voice. They have to create their own being, who they're going to be in four or five, maybe 40 years time. So I just want to spark some uh, maybe contrasting ideas or or bring in some discussion points that I purposefully choose to um, say something that I really don't mean even. But I just want to, you know them to react and to consider why i'm seeing things just to um, get their line of reasoning uh, to make it more visible or to explicate it to their peers and i think that if i would just stand there and talk about the content some students might take that extra step to see how that would relate to their own learning or their own teaching or who they want to be but i'm not sure if that would happen for each and every student Uh, okay still if i would Ask these questions, there's always a small group of students who do not interact or do not engage. Maybe that's difficult for me as a teacher to accept sometimes, but I just have to accept that. I mean, it's also about autonomy and students do not need to engage because I just like to do that.
0: Well, maybe um, not uh, interacting is in lack of engagement. Maybe this is also the message here. Mm -hmm. Maybe they are engaging, but just not in the way that we expect or uh, we anticipate that they might in this particular case. I'm curious also in this there's a reason why um, you are the, the guest in this podcast and it's because mm-hmm. I I know also because you were the I suppose my teacher in the professional learning community on student engagement and interaction or engagement and interaction in uh, higher education mm-hmm. but I also know that you are yourself very interested intrinsically as you've said in in an interactive engaged mode of learning. And this is something I appreciate a lot, but then it also brings to mind the question of, are teachers engaged in the process of learning and teaching? (laughs) We ask a lot about oh, but are all students open to being engaged and interactive? But then I ask you, are all teachers or are most teachers? And more (laughs) critically, is the educational environment open for engagement?
2: I mean, the These are two kind of different questions. No, I I don't think that each and every teacher is willing to also take the extra mile. So, for example, I find the social uh, engagement with my students or more effective engagement really important. So, if my students come in for my lecture, I tend to listen in. What are they thinking about? Are they discussing their internships? Um, Are they talking about the content? So, I kind of observe, listen in, start engaging with them already and try to... Uh, come back to these topics of discussion during my lecture. Um, But I also try to be a person. I don't want to be a teacher, just being an orator or anything. I want to be a real person. So every teacher behavior that I model, they could bring into practice as well. So I also also use pictures of my um, two young sons uh, to illustrate some theories. For example, I have one of my uh, youngest son who has a real big tantrum because he could not touch the oven that was on um, when I'm teaching about moral development. Um, And this is something that opens up a space for reflecting on, on how these issues are apparent in each and everyone's lives. So it really opens up for them the view that I'm also a person, that I'm a teacher, that they can bring in their own ideas, that everything is valued. So in that sense, I think that you can have a cognitive aspect of engagement that probably a lot of teachers will somehow cater to, but also the social, more effective, that you see students, that you want to listen to them, you want to help them, that that's a different story. So this, is this something you recognize, Sally?
1: Yeah, I think it's really important not to be too formal as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, in my high school, for example, we all wore uniforms and ties and had to call our teachers sir and mom. Oh. Um, and there was just this disconnect between yeah. the teacher and the student. And it was not as effective, I think, as I've experienced teaching. So effective either. in terms of? I think you just zone out more in classes yeah. and you're, you're less engaged <laughs> um, yeah. because you're not as interested in them as a person in a way. Um, because professors at university are experts in their field and interesting people so you want to listen to them and you want to learn from them and they're more approachable whereas yeah my experience of high school at least it was Mm -hmm. not like that
2: yeah so I just show my students I want to work for them and hopefully they would want to work for me as well
0: Yeah. yeah yeah do you think it's a matter of bringing in yourself into your classroom in a in a particular way or is it more about uh, authenticity. I know for myself that I, yeah. I, I have similar approaches to my education. Mm-hmm. I know that I bring in my, my personal life to some extent in the way that I, I engage with, uh, with uh, the material and the lectures and the workshops that I, I run. But I also know that um, other teachers' personalities are are different in that respect. And I also know that they can be extremely engaging uh, educators, speakers, uh, conversationalists, um, facilitators. It seems that it might be more about a responsiveness to the authenticity of this experience rather mm-hmm. than the um, the specific nature of this experience. Do you think that this is true? Because not everybody brings in photos of the kids like you and I, Jeline. No. I do the same thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, there are certain colleagues that... I can't imagine doing this. And I think students will feel that this is, well, maybe not fake, but forced. Yeah. Yeah. So on the other hand, it could be something worth a shot, right? I mean, um, if we talk about the transition from, or the, the differences between universities for applied sciences, where I studied and real universities, the contrast in terms of interpersonal relations with the teachers is huge. So, I'm I'm curious to know why we cannot do that or should not do that in university settings. Whereas in University of Blind Science, it's really normal to know that your teachers have kids or that they, I don't know, do bootcamp or whatever. But in that sense, it was easier just to interact or ask questions to these teachers. Um, and they felt more like a human being. So I do agree that cognitively or topic related, we can have brilliant professors, uh, that really know and inspire from a theoretical or research perspective, but we're talking about shaping students, um, in the broadest sense, right? I mean, it's not only in the academic transfer or, um, just sending over some information. It's also about stimulating them to become whoever they want to be or how they want to be, or at least offer them perspectives on what could be possible. In that sense, I, I find it really important to have a, well, at least have some attention to the interpersonal aspects as well. But I'm not sure if every student would really want that. I mean...
0: Well, I think it's also important to get out of this idea of the average or typical or representative student. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as, as there is no average, typical, representative teacher or human being, I think, mm-hmm. in uh, especially as education has increased the scope of who who goes to university, the diversity of people, the diversity of background experiences, the diverse, the diversity of intentions that they all bring is, is such that we must, for everybody's benefit, avoid the idea of, of picturing the, the student population, the, the group of students that we have in front of us as a cohesive, coherent Mm -hmm. mass.
2: Yeah, sure. But on the other hand, if you only acknowledge that, that you're aware of the fact that, well, some students may not want to interact or may not want to participate in discussion, um, I think that would also be worthwhile. I mean, if we could just, um, for example, if we are teaching online or hybrid and people are uh, not turning on their cameras, and I could be really disappointed and grumpy, or I could say, Guys, I really need the visual input. I I want to see you. I want to, um, because I find it important as a person. Or I would love to hear your thoughts because I'm curious where you are in your learning process. So I think it could be helpful if we articulate the reasons why we're posing certain questions or why we're using certain materials or why we are using certain tools. Just to acknowledge the diversity of both students and teachers. On the other hand, your lectures could really be super long because you have to explain everything, but yeah.
0: Have you found that the discussion of engagement and interaction has been particularly important and um, uh, sharp in the last couple of years when um, the the higher education and uh, all modes of education have shifted to either fully online or a hybrid mode of teaching?
2: Yes and no. Um, I guess that, well... I heard and observed was that many colleagues found it really difficult to know if students were indeed engaged or if they were even listening or just fast-forwarding through the lecture. So, for example, if I teach, then it could be that I'm trying to emphasize a certain concept or pinpoint something. And, well, if you're re-watching a lecture, you can fast-forward and skip over that part. So I think that many lectures were wondering about how engaged army students, do they participate, how are they well engaged or active, or how do they participate, or what do they do when they're at home? So it was more like a black box, and you just hope that things work out, but the feedback was minimal. For example, I just asked once um, at the end of one, one of the lectures, like, what do you like? Would you like to have more breakout rooms? Would you like to have more useful everywhere? Would you like to have more uh, videos or whatever? And students said, please, no more uh, breakout rooms, because we have to in every course. So I think that it's really important, even in these online situations, that you start talking with your students to see what they need and how you can cater to learning and teaching processes to still have them participate, not think, oh, well, we have to go to a breakout room again.
0: Well, is it possible that this is the case that we have centered our discussion on on engagement and interaction in education, too much on on the technologies and the tools rather than the underlying value of of this. And the, mm-hmm. uh, and by value, I don't mean benefit. I mean the 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 values that that support the need for engagement and, in fact, a clear definition of what we mean by engagement. I find it offensive when my students fast forward through my lectures, but I realize as soon as that I become offended by it that it's a it's an unreasonable feeling Mm -hmm. to have and the feeling that I should be or the the reaction that I should be having is why do I find this difficult? Mm -hmm. If it meets the intentions of that particular student, then it should be fine. If I haven't managed to convey the space that I wanted to create for that learning experience in this and they have created a different space for themselves, maybe this is also the reasonable response. And I should also admit publicly that when I revisit my lectures to see what has happened in the previous years, I watch them at one and a half uh, speed. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm um, trying to to bring to the table is that often we surround the conversation too much about uh, too much with tools mm-hmm. and manifestations, without really being entirely clear what these are uh, manifestations of. And perhaps because of this, this brings different kind of response that we want to have in our classrooms.
2: Yeah, I can imagine that for many courses this is indeed the case, but um, for me, for example, I I like to use a story arc. So Mm -hmm. at the beginning of my lecture I ask certain questions. I note down either mentally or really on paper students' responses and throughout the lecture at different points in time I refer back to these um, answers or I let students respond to each other and Use these uh, differing answers throughout the lecture just to make a point out of something. So, in that sense, the the main issue for me of going online and having everything recorded would be that at least I like to think it's a purposefully crafted story arc with a beginning, where they, you know here's the main theories, here are the materials, here's some application, here's some reflection going on, and it all ties up. And even between lectures, so. In the third lecture, I'm still referring back to the first lecture. I used the same examples. I used the same um, answers that students gave. So for example, one of my students said, yeah, we like social constructivist learning. So last lecture, I just tried to learn all the names of my students and they were, they were responding like, oh, you really listened to us. So, okay. Now I know why this is important that you, for example, know all the names because you told me this and this and this. So. I think that when you focus too much on tools, yeah, then you're not really thinking about your storyline from A to Z. But I'm not sure if each and every teacher is aware of of these principles or does that.
1: Yeah, I actually made a note before the podcast of all the things I personally found engaging in my lectures. And I uh, made a note of creating a narrative because I do remember lectures even from my first year where that was the case. And it it makes it much more memorable because Mm -hmm. it gives you a a framework to to apply to that theory. But you mean like a narrative
2: that is not a theory-based or is it like a storyline? or
1: Um, Both. (laughs) So, yeah, like you said, creating a beginning, a middle and an end for that theory and relating one lecture to another. So there's Mm -hmm. this framework throughout. Mm. Um, makes it easier to remember for me. But also adding your own anecdotes in, I suppose, uh, to make mm-hmm. it more memorable.
2: Yeah. On the other hand, I do know that some students really think like, oh, you should just tell me what to learn or just, you know, give definitions or explain the concept. So I think these students will have a bit more difficulties with my lectures. But yeah.
1: I think it's easier to figure get a list of facts that are just given to you than mm-hmm. a narrative.
2: Yeah, so would you then say that like in the first year, engagement is less of a prerequisite for learning as compared to third, fourth year masters?
1: I suppose the attitude of the students changes over time. I mean, in first year, you're more excited about courses and stuff.
0: Does that also mean more engaged with them in whatever way we think of engagement?
1: Or more willing to engage,
2: maybe? Yeah, Mm. I
1: think that's more accurate. Willing to engage.
0: More open? Yes. More enthusiastic? Yeah. It's a a bit of a shock sometimes to see the arc of learning through the... uh, starting in the first year and Mm -hmm. culminating in the second, the third, the masters, etc. And uh, it it sometimes opens the question of why is it that this is happening?
2: Yeah, but also within a year. So uh, I first gave lecture at the end of the first year. And I was really enthusiastic and using my story arc techniques. And then someone said like, why are you doing this? Because all previous courses were just like present their information and I could just sit and do nothing. And I was like, okay, well, sorry for being the third course in your year, but uh, I mean, what can I do? I'm not going to change my teaching style because other people in front of the the courses uh, prior to my course were more like passive sending or absorbing, uh, yeah, absorbing for students. So I'm not sure if it's really between year, but there's a...
0: It's it's the passage (laughs) of time, let's say. It's a a collection of experiences. Yeah, yeah,
2: especially that. So, I mean, if we set the tone right at the first year, first course, then I I would love to see that the first courses already tell students why it's important to take ownership of their own learning and that they can take initiatives or tell me that... Uh, they would like to know more about this and this topic, uh, instead of, you know, awaiting what the teacher will tell or maybe not.
0: Is it also possible to invite the students to tell us why this is the case? I've noted Mm -hmm. a number of ways in which we've talked about engagement today, and we talked about it in terms of shaping, in terms of telling, in terms of stimulating, in terms of interacting, in terms Mm -hmm. of uh, um, uh, inferences, in terms of engagement. And it doesn't seem to include the perspective of the students very much so far.
2: Indirectly, I guess. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) like experience with last year's cohort kind of steer the design. At least for me, I know what more or less worked or did not. On the other hand, I think it's also a bit more implicit that you do get signals back from students. So when everyone starts yawning, then I know it's, time to do something or activating or have a break or just tell them like okay observe these behaviors this is not something that I particularly like or is it something that I should change uh, should, do you need a break so I think it's more implicit or retrospective.
0: Sally have you found that there was enough space for your voice to shape the way your learning has been taking place while doing your studies?
1: I mean we always have the end of course evaluation but that's basically the only time we're asked of our opinion, and nothing really comes back to us from that. They'll generally mention if it was a good or a bad evaluation.
0: But, yeah. but again, this is about the quality of the teaching rather than the experience of your own learning, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting to mm-hmm. to see how often these discussions about higher education um, forget the intimacy between the roles of the teacher and the learner as being, um, as being essentially two sides of the same coin, as being a partnership through this journey. And perhaps we take up too much ownership as teachers and not make enough space for the ownership.
2: Okay. But this is also something that the Dutch educational system is really great at. I mean, even in primary education, we teach and you get feedback. From your students, you see them, you know how they respond, you know how they progress, but we do not ask our primary school or secondary school kids to give live feedback and be a co-partner or or co-create the course. You have the end goals, you need to reach them, um, and you trust that the teacher knows best how to get there, right? I mean, I, I guess that we're not used to, maybe the Dutch people know how to criticize or how to speak up, but... It's more like implicit that you do not interfere or it's not your role, maybe. I don't know how to change that. I mean, I think it would be really valuable just to start your course or um, maybe already start talking with the first-year students now that I will have in the second year. Like, okay, these are the topics. This will uh, be the points of discussion. How do you want to go in this course? I mean, do you want to have caseworks or just plain theory, transmission, what do you want? So
0: does that mean there's already a certain degree of tension between the higher education model that we're operating in, the structures that we're in, and this desire for engagement? Is this what you're saying?
2: If you think that student participation already from lecture one is a prerequisite in determining how you're gonna shape or create opportunities to engage, then yes. But it's not different from primary or secondary education.
0: Sally, you talked about your engagement in your own program as also consisting of giving evaluations to courses or giving um, your perspective of your experiences through courses. But I'm also wondering how your own relationship to your intentions and to your participation with with shaping your own learning objectives, making your own decisions about how and to what extent and in what manner to engaged engage with this with this journey and this path that you're taking through education.
1: I think over time I realized the skills that I was learning from particular courses rather than just the knowledge and I wanted to identify my own weaknesses and work on them. So for example, I volunteered to start this podcast and work on my own public speaking uh, Insecurities because I noticed that that was something I always struggled with, and I think that, that is just something in the long term that you take with you after university, and it's really important.
2: So it's also about the opportunities to engage with your own shaping or your own development. So it's not just the, the theoretical courses or the practical or uh, statistical ways of reasoning or thinking, but it's I, th- I think higher education is more than just that. It's also about offering you opportunities to engage in your own development but to what extent should i as a teacher or how can i contribute to that should i well maybe mingle with these kinds of developmental processes
1: i think it relates back to what you were saying earlier is when um, students don't always realize the purpose of a particular Mm -hmm. aspect of a course because it's a long-term benefit it's something that will happen over time and um can often lead to personal development. I think if you emphasize it too much, it becomes forced. Yeah. In a way, I think that is mostly up to the students themselves. You cannot force them to develop themselves. But if they are engaged in the material and they enjoy the course, I think it will come naturally with it.
2: Mm -hmm. Do you also think that we as doctors or maybe as a faculty should help students to engage in feeling part of an academic community or to your attitudes or your motivations, for example, towards sustainability or these kinds of issues.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think the way I approached learning at the point where I felt like I was part of a community was very different than later on during the pandemic, where it was much harder to feel like part of a community and... Mm -hmm.
0: So it seems that we're, um, all three of us are finding um, a common ground in talking about engagement, not as a set of tools or techniques or methods of, um, as is um, often talked about as activating students, but rather about creating the right kind of space and the right kind of stimuli for everybody, for teachers and for students to to engage with the process of learning with uh, personal development with intellectual development emotional civil development and really finding a path through this educational course if you like
2: yeah it's not about having the right buttons there i'm just pushing them at times but just accepting maybe also as a teacher that sometimes the right button at least you think it's the right button doesn't work and that you start exploring why it didn't work so what does this student or do these students need, how can I change my teaching? How can I accommodate their learning? I, I, at least such a more reflexive and reciprocal way of teaching would allow for that, yeah. I
0: think this is a beautiful place to, to end this episode as well. Jolene, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a great uh, opportunity for us to discuss these with you.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me here. It's also exciting for me, also an opportunity for me to learn how these things work as
1: well. Yeah. Thank you very much.
0: This podcast was a production of the University of Groningen.